Hello, one and all. Thank you for joining me on episode seven of Black Horror. I'm your host, Angel Gully. I want to give a small shout out to my good friend, Brandon, who suggested this movie for this episode and has been hounding me ever since to record it. So here it is, Brandon, and all Black Horror family. I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, released in 1998 and directed by Danny Cannon. Let's get into it. Okay, so I want to start off. I don't understand this series. Like, I get it, but I don't get it. These movies, like the first one, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, these came out when I was only a few years old. So I remember watching them. I remember the general gist of what's going on, but the particulars still don't make sense to me. Like, this guy, okay, they hit the guy in the original movie. They threw him in, like, what, a lake or a pond or some body of water. And then he lived, correct? Right? Didn't wasn't he actually alive? And he s- sought his vengeance for being hit and thrown in the lake. But why not just go to the police and tell them that these people tried to literally kill you and get rid of the evidence? It doesn't make sense to me. And then in this movie, which I'm literally watching as I'm recording, and this is the first time I've seen this movie, and oh my god, it's years like. And I'm pretty sure at the end of this movie, doesn't it turn out to be like the guy that got hit and thrown into the lake sun or something that gets revenge? I don't know. I'm going to find out as as I go on and continue recording this. But like I said, this series doesn't make sense to me. Much like Scream. Brandon also had to like literally describe that whole movie series to me. It, I was very confused and I've watched it several times. Maybe I'm just dumb. But either way, we're not talking about Scream. We're talking about I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. All right, I'm pressing play. Let's get this started, y'all. All All right, so we open up with Jennifer Love Hewitt's character, whose name is Julie. She walks into this Catholic church, and she's going into confessional, and she's telling the priest, you know, like, I did this really bad thing. I killed someone, and I got away with it, and I've been feeling guilty, and this and that, and, you know. I shouldn't feel bad because the guy was a murderer. He killed my friends, but I happened to live. And first of all, and I've grown up in the Catholic church. You can literally go to jail for that. You cannot confess a crime to a priest because they are still obligated to tell the police. Like, you can't, you, that's like saying, you know, I slaughtered this whole family, you know, preacher. And, you know, I feel really bad about it now, but hey, what's done is done. I, I've, the Lord has taken my sins and I'm re, re-cleansed. And no, that's not how that works. He can literally still rat you out. Like he's still a, a member of the community. He still has a right and an obligation to tell the police that you're a criminal. I don't know where this myth came that you can tell a priest anything, but they can literally still rat you out. Like if it's a legit crime, I and I don't know where people are getting this. And they even had an episode about this in Grey's Anatomy. Like they thought doctor patient confidentiality meant that they could tell a doctor something, you know, a crime and they couldn't report it. Like, no, where, where, where are these myths coming from? Anyone in any profession can report a crime. That's never not been a thing. But anyways, she already criminalizing herself, but it turns out to be a dream. 
And she wakes up screaming because the preacher she happened to talk to was the guy from the last movie, the killer from the last movie. And also, his name was Ben Willis, but also she called him a murderer. But wasn't he just getting revenge on them because they literally tried, well, accidentally killed him and then tried to cover up the accidental death, the accidental murder that they caused? Like, that's not... I mean, it's revenge, but it's it's justified. I was going to say necessary. It's not necessary, but it is justified. Like if someone hits me in their car, they don't even, you know, properly check my pulse. They don't try to call the ambulance and make sure that professionals can try to revive me. They just are like, hey, you know, fuck it. We're near a leg. We have a hurlides ahead of us. Like I didn't. The person that just got hit, like I didn't have fucking life. But they're like, fuck it. They throw me in a lake and then I come to and luckily don't drown i'm also gonna fucking kill you like who the who do you think you are that's us it's not only rude but it's just like ignorant i don't know but anyways so she wakes up screaming julie like i said i was about to say Catherine zeta jones she's not even anywhere in this movie jennifer love hewitt her character screams she wakes up screaming in class so she runs out of class you know she's all embarrassed because she woke up screaming and people were laughing at her and probably I'm sure a little startled um I'm sure PTSD and all that good stuff she runs out of class her friend Will comes up behind her and you know he's talking like hey you know it was another nightmare what happened was it the same nightmare from before and she lets him know like no it's the one in the church I guess she has a shower nightmare that she has also that was mentioned but he's she was like no it's the one in the church and you know I haven't had these for months I thought it was over with and then it gets revealed that it's been a year ago to the date that all these killings happened and they happened last year on July 4th and you know Will is like you know it's probably just the anniversary of all of it you just gotta take it easy and get through this and also this is slightly off topic But Jennifer Love Hewitt, like back in the early 90s and like, I want to say also early 2000s, like she was the sex symbol. Like everybody was like, she's so fine. She's so this, she's so that. And she's not an ugly girl. Like she's very pretty, but sex symbol? Maybe I'm missing something. Is it the big boobs? And even the boobs weren't big, or at least not in this movie. Maybe she had an implant later on, or maybe she had a better bra like later on in life. But like, she's a very pretty woman, but that's about it but I I'm talking like beauty standards haven't changed I mean well you know what I mean like early 2000s and early 90s like beauty standards were way different than what they are well not way different but certainly different than what they are now so I need to take that into into aspect into effect into perspective one of those are right but anyway, so after Will and Julie go their separate ways, she looks like going into back into her dorm. And then Ray, Freddie Prince Jr. character, he catches up with Julie. And, you know, he given introductions, this and that. Like, you know, I'm, apparently it's been a while since they've seen each other. I'm assuming the year, you know, since everything happened. And he's telling her like, hey, you know, I got my car out back. Let's let's go, you know, let's go back to the town that all those killings happened, basically. And he's saying, you know, it's a crab boil and there's a pageant show and this, that, and the third. And she's letting him know like, bro, it's only been 365 days since my friends were butchered and I was almost with them. 
and you. So, you know, let's, let's calm it down. You know, I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm healed enough to go back there yet. And rightfully so. And she also letting them know that, you know, since she's not completely healed from this trauma, there's no way that they can be together again right now, which I also don't remember that. I don't remember her being with someone in the first movie. I thought they were like a flirtation ship, but I thought he was with old girl that died and that was the pageant queen. I thought, like I said, I, I honestly haven't seen these movies in forever, but apparently they were together. And now that she's traumatized, she's not ready to get back together with him, which is also understandable. But he's taking it to heart, which I mean, I guess anybody would. But at the same time, if we both almost just got killed only 365 days ago, do you really think I'm worried about you and your penis right now? No, I'm trying to get my mind right and make sure that if we do happen to get back together one day, that I won't be freaking out and, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and screaming and I can't take a shower alone or have the doors closed or have the lights off. Like, I'm trying to make sure that I'm going to be a functioning, healthy adult. You're worried about a fucking relationship. Like, we're not on the same page right now at all. So after they're done with their little tiff, Julie gets back to her apartment. And can I say this girl has some money? Not only does she have an apartment slash dorm full of furniture she has a pantry and fridge full of groceries maybe it's just the college folks I know but they certainly and when I was in college myself certainly couldn't afford a pantry and fridge full of groceries shit but uh, I'm uh, again I'm forgetting this is the 90s before that fucking inflation and shit we got going on now but still all I'm saying is my girl is blessed but full fridge and pantry aside she gets in the apartment you know she gets settled takes off her sweater you know and her shoes and just gets in bed and goes to sleep and when I say that is real college life because when I got out of class especially after driving through that heavy ass traffic to get home fuck studying fuck homework fuck all that little stuff I'm supposed to be doing I'm about to go to sleep and if I get to my homework before midnight, it's a blessing because that was very few times. Most time I go to sleep, I'd wake up around 2 a.m. I'd do my homework till about 5, 6 a.m. I'd take a nap and then I'm right back up ready to get to school. Oh God, I'm so glad I'm out of college. Bless. But, and if there's anyone in college now that's listening, my heart goes out to you. Because that is some true bullshit. All of it is bullshit. Having to wake up at those times, bullshit. Having to do those unnecessary ass assignments, bullshit. Having to type those lengthy ass papers, bullshit. That's all I got to say. I mean, me and college ain't friends. That's, that's all I got to say. So true to college student form, Julie wakes up in the middle of the night. You know, she hears something. She tries to turn on the light. It blows out, which how convenient or inconvenient in her case. But turns on the light, it goes out. If she's such a paranoid person, why didn't she have literally flashlights right next to her? Just in case that happens. Like, girl, she pulls out a knife from literally the bedside table. But you don't have a flashlight? Come on now. Anyways she's looking around her apartment you know she heard something 
and she goes to her closet she sees the light on and she hears something moving and and she also sees you know her clothes jingling a little bit and you know she's about to stab into the closet but before she does her friend brandy well who's played by brandy character name is carla she turns around and she's like oh my god i'm so sorry i thought you were out of town first of all bitch even if i was out of town the proper thing to do as someone who has my key or someone that has access to my apartment in general anytime you come in whether i'm out of town in town you think i'm out of the building in the building literally call or text is that not proper etiquette like hey girl I, I'm, I know you're out of town, but I'm about to borrow your shoes. You know, call me up. Hey, girl, I know you're in town, but you're in class right now. I'm about to borrow your shirt. I'll wash it and return it. Like She's just popping up in people's houses. And especially knowing your friend is paranoid, trauma person. Like she has trauma. She has PTSD. Even though you may not know what it's for, you know she's going through some shit. Like, girl, if you'd have got stabbed, now I got to tell your mama I accidentally accidentally killed your ass because you couldn't send a text or you couldn't give me a call i'd be pissed like even before i was sad that i just killed my best friend i'd be pissed like bitch this did not have to happen had you had some common sense none of this had to happen today also as a best friend carla slash brandy is not doing her job well not only did i almost kill you because you didn't have no common sense she's over here trying to tell julie to get with will who is not by any means cute versus Freddie Prince Jr. Who early 90s, early 2000s was fine as fuck. I haven't seen him lately, but he was fine as fuck. And she was like, Will's right down the street and Ray is all the way in Southport, which Southport they said was only like an hour to two hours away. Like, come on now, stop the bullshit. Carla ends up dragging Julie Jules as you know her nickname in here why is Jules always the nickname for anyone with Julie Juliet Juliana it's always Jules I don't know just get creative y'all anyways drags her to the bar she meets her boyfriend there who's played by Mackay Pfeiffer you know he's just playing the regular horn dog in this movie but I almost don't care because Mackay Pfeiffer was so fine back in the day oh gosh he was a very handsome man and this, I just realized this is the second Mackay Pfeiffer movie. Well, it wasn't his movie, but involved in movie that we've talked about on this podcast. So, you know, kudos to him. But anyways, so they're at the bar and that's where Carla works. And, you know, she takes a break. They're about to go dancing. And here she's, you know, they go up to the second floor of the bar and she's like, oh, look at Will. Look, it's so fine. You know, blah, blah bitch stop the lies you i'm trying to i'm trying to tell you carla brandy was not a good best friend in this movie she keeps trying to pawn off julie on this ugly ass nigga and then she keeps downplaying my boy ray because he's from the country like come on and okay i get she doesn't have a car i was gonna say and she doesn't have a eh, take the bus or he has a car he clearly has a car he was about to take her away for the weekend they can work it out and i understand she keeps saying she's traumatized but also as a best friend how are you gonna push her off on will i'm just thinking about this as a best friend how are you gonna push her off on will even though she's not ready to date yet you talking down on ray either way if she's not ready to date because her ptsd as a best friend you need to respect that brandy i'm just realizing 
Brandy was fucked up in this movie. But anyways, Jule, Julie is, you know, waiting for Will to get her a drink while they're in the bar. And she looks up and she sees the guy in the raincoat from, you know, well, the killer in the raincoat from the first movie. And what does she do? What does this white woman that probably only weighs about a good 130, doesn't even have her knife from the table, you know, the side table, doesn't have any type of anything with her. She might have some pepper spray if she has her keys on her. But even still, in a club, you you mason a lot of folks. What does her white ass do when she sees the suspected killer of last movie? She goes and tries to get him. She goes and tries to get closer to the supposed killer. I don't know why white people have a love relationship, not even a love-hate relationship, a love relationship with danger. If there is any type of danger, big or small, they're going to run towards it. We've talked about this in previous episodes, but I just don't understand because not only do they do this in fiction, they do it in real life. No, we are not going to split up. No, we are not going to look for the killer. No, we are not going to wait where, you know, it may seem a little bit safe. No, my black ass is getting to the safest place. Not a little bit of safety. The safest place I know. And I'm going to get every gun I can carry. And that's going to be my defense for anything. A killer, zombies, Cujo, anything. So as she's running toward the danger and doesn't find it, she looks upset. She has the nerve to look upset like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm not getting killed today. Like, bitch, you should be excited. But anyway, she comes to her sense. She finally is like, you know what? I got to get out of here. This is a bit too much. I got to just get out of this bar. So she leaves the bar and just ends up going back home and falling asleep. When she wakes up, She goes into the kitchen because she hears something again and it turns out that Carla is washing her shoes in her washing machine or drying her shoes actually in her drying machine. And again, why do you keep coming in my house unannounced? If I fell asleep without anyone in my house, I should wake up to that same environment. Your black ass should not be in my house. But luckily she doesn't almost get killed twice. But Carla ends up getting a call from a radio station saying, if you can answer this one question, we'll, you know, give you a getaway trip. You just have to answer what is the capital of Brazil. And Julie helps her out and lets her know it's Rio. They win the getaway trip. But my thing is, what if she wouldn't have got it right? Like, what if she would have said the very incorrect answer? Would And we, I mean, we later found out that this is all a setup to get julie you know to this remote island to possibly try to kill her but what if she wouldn't have won like what if the answer was wrong would he just played that off or what if because while they're on the phone they're like you have five seconds to answer or you know you lose what if the five seconds would have timed out would he have called again like that's too suspicious to be called by a radio station twice over this span of a couple days about a getaway trip, like anyone would have saw that was like fishy. So, I mean, I get from the context of the movie she had to win, but in real life, what if she really wouldn't have won? Like he would have had to wait a whole nother year or a whole nother holiday to try to get this girl away. They win four tickets to the Bahamas, um, this island called Tower Bay. So, of course, Carla is like, you know, gonna invite her boyfriend, Makai, and 
Julie is trying to invite Ray and rightfully so Ray gets pissed he's like whoa 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 you want to go away with me and your friends to an island which in and of itself sounds fine but I just asked your ass to come with me back to our hometown for you know to spend the weekend together and you couldn't do that which I I get both sides like my girl doesn't want to go back to the city where her friends were murdered and he is also like damn bitch you can't just come away with me you gotta invite all these people so I get both sides but also when she's initially telling him about this trip you know she's like we can sit in the sun we can drink Mai Tais and you know I'm like bitch I just asked you less than 24 hours to go to try to you know get this relationship back on track to at least try and now you're talking about fucking but you don't want to be with me I'm like nah bitch it's it's a negative from me you don't know what you want or if you do know what you want you're not communicating it effectively I'm on Ray's side old girl is crazy but Ray lets her know like hey I'm working I may not be able to come up but you know if I do that's great but if I don't I want you to have a good time and enjoy yourself and you know she's all upset she's pouty she's like I miss you blah 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 and again I'm on Ray's side bitch I just drove up there hour two hour drive to come get you bring you back here so we could hang out and I would have to drop you back off that's a lot of gas and a lot of hours driving hours but you said no now that you've said no you spring it surprise spring it on me that you've won a trip to the Bahamas and you want me to go with you even though I just offered you a trip yesterday which you declined which means I have to pick up hours to fill the trip that is no longer so now that I've picked up these hours at work you want me to tell my boss hey I'm sorry fuck it I can't do these hours I literally just picked up because my not even girlfriend said that she has a free trip to the Bahamas it sounds very crazy like I I want to say I get both sides because I sort of do but at the same time I'm side I'm siding with Ray like girl I gave you a chance you shot me down now you're saying you miss me now you're saying you want to fuck I'm confused you don't know what you want I don't got time to figure it out I'm trying to make my money if I'm there if I change my mind and I get there cool but if I don't you brought this on yourself and since I'm watching this movie for the first time in years and recording as I'm watching I take back everything I just said in the last like two minutes of this podcast this nigga brings out a ring He's talking to his boss. His boss is telling him, you know, you're stupid, bro. She's inviting you to the Bahamas. You need to go. We, you know, yes, you have a job, but we ain't really doing nothing. Like I can cover your hours. You're cool, whatever. He's like, he brings out a ring. He brings out a ring and shows his, I think it's his boss, but, or co-worker, either one. Nigga, now I gotta be on Julie's side because now you looking crazy. She just invited you to the Bahamas. Yes, she shot you down yesterday, but now she's rethinking it. She's like, you know what? Maybe I can make it up to him. Maybe we can work on things. Maybe I can get my mind and my, you know, my peace and all that together. And maybe, you know, we'll see what happens with this trip. She invites you on a free trip, mind you. You don't got to pay shit. You don't got to pay the airfare. You don't got to pay for the hotel. All you got to probably pay is for your food and drinks. 
She invites you to this damn near free trip to the Bahamas. And you know that you want to marry this girl? And you say no? Ray, you looking stupid and I'm I'm over here having to backpedal on what I said. You pissed me off, man. But um, for the record, for right now, I am on Julie's side because I, it doesn't make sense now. But also, who just has a ring in their pocket when they're at work? You're two hours away from this girl and you're on, you're working on a boat near water. What if the ring comes out of your pocket, goes to the bottom of the ocean? Right, come on now. I get it's a movie, but please make some sense. Why, why the fuck do you have a however many carat ring, even if it's just 0.5? Why do you have a diamond ring in your pocket at work and your girl ain't nowhere around you? Make it make sense. But after he pulls out the ring, you know, shows his boss, his boss is like, hey, you know, why don't you go surprise her? You know, don't call her. Don't tell her you're coming. Just surprise her, you know, by showing up. When has a surprise, especially about that, ever gone right? You're going to surprise this woman, not only with your presence, but a ring? It's not a good idea. And, and you just left her on the phone in this pouty, upset mood? That would piss me off. I don't even mind surprises. It just has to be a well thought out surprise. All I'm saying, picture this y'all. You just got off the phone with your almost sort of boyfriend. He's not only disappointed you by not coming on the trip. He's low-key pissed you off because you really wanted him there. And he's turning you down for a job. A job that will still be there. If he's, you know, it's not like he has to be there. He's not saving lives. He's not putting out fires. He's fishing. So it's a job that he can, he can call off for a couple days. He's pissed you off. He's disappointed you. And now he comes to a remote island and he's just there with the ring. And he want to act like shit's sweet? Nigga, no. Uh-uh. After I cuss your ass out, then maybe propose. Then maybe we can fuck. But... I'm going to have to cuss you out first. Because who the fuck do you think you are? You should have called me. We should have talked about this. You should have, you know, woosahed me before you showed your ass up here. But Carla, being the best friend, is trying to cheer Julie up. She's like, you know, just forget about him. He's fish for brains. You know, let's worry about the Bahamas and have a good time. And low-key, Carla is giving some gay vibes. Like, Brandy in this, you know, in this role, I get she's the best friend but have you ever seen two girls that are best friend and it's like you one you know is straight but the other one it's like you know if they both get drunk I'm sure she would hit on her I'm sure some shit would go down like if they were both that drunk I'm very sure and that's the vibe that Brandy is giving she's giving very very lesbianic vibes which you know I'm not hating I'm just saying so they cut to Ray and his co-worker or his boss or whoever He's driving up, you know, on his way to see Julie at the campus before. I'm sure, yeah, he'd have to go to the campus because he couldn't get to the Bahamas for free unless he was with her. So on his way to the campus, I'm guessing. And he sees a car that stopped on the middle of the road. It looks like it's been crashed or ran into something. And there's a body just laying on in the middle of the road and you know trying to learn from his mistakes of before he's like you know I'm not gonna leave this person definitely not gonna throw him in a fucking lake and he goes to check on it and he leaves his car with his co-worker 
damn near a mile down the road. That's the first mistake. He gets up to the body. He doesn't see any blood, doesn't see any anything, which, you know, that can happen. You know, sometimes you're internally bleeding or there's no blood or bloodshed at all. Okay, whatever. He puts his hand on the back of this guy's head, not on his back, not on his neck, on the back of his head. And I say the his back or his neck because you can either feel, you know, you can feel their pulse or you can feel their chest rising, rising and falling to indicate that they're alive. No. What are you going to feel on the back of someone's head? Nothing, especially if they have hair, especially if they have a jacket or in a hat over that hair, which this person, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see it, which this person had. He turns around the person and it turns out to be a doll. He realizes it's a setup. He yells to his coworker, who I now know his name is Dave. Dave gets hooked up. And I say hooked up because, of course, the weapon of choice by Ben Will. I, I'm guessing that's Ben Willis. But either way, the killer is a hook. You know, that little meat, not meat cleaver cook, but, you know, it's like a, it's a, it's a hook. It's just a, maybe a fishing hook? No, it can't be a fishing hook because those are small. Either way, it's a big fucking hook in place of his hand. Dave gets hooked in the mouth, dragged out of the car. I'm guessing... The way it looks, he like yanks his hook up and out of his mouth and skull. So basically, Dave is dead. Old boy in the raincoat, because again, I don't know if this is Ben Willis from the first movie, like the, the first killer, or if it's somebody else, because I, I, I want to say it's somebody else. But again, like I said, I haven't seen this movie in years. Anyways, he steals Ray's truck and tries to run him down. And what does Ray's dumbass do? He starts zigzagging. Which almost would make sense if this wasn't a fucking car. You're on the road in the dark. He's trying to chase you down. You have woods or forest on either side of you with tall, big ass trees. Wouldn't common sense say to run into the trees because he cannot follow you or he would crash your truck and then he would either hurt himself or have to find you on foot, which is a lot harder. Does that not make sense? I'm almost stuck for words because I I don't understand why he didn't think of that. He's literally zigzagging and not even big zigzags, small zigzags. Like if he would have just sped up a little bit, he could have tossed his ass. He could have hit the fuck out of him. But of course, this is a movie. He's not going to die or at least not yet. I don't even remember if he dies in this movie, but we'll see. But anyways, he finally jumps off a bridge and tumbles down the hill and knocks his head on the side of the hill, you know, guessing he's knocked out, he's down for the count. Also, y'all, I'm sorry if there's a change in sound quality at this point in the podcast. I literally just now broke my adapter, my uh, microphone adapter, so now I'm having to use my in-ear headphones and record off of that. So apologies in advance, but back to the movie. So we go back, we see Julie and Carla waiting for Ray. But as we know, he's knocked out, so he's not coming. But they're waiting for Ray because he said he'd really try to be there. So they're waiting on the side of the road, waiting for him to show up. And Carla is talking nothing but bullshit. She's like, you know, he's only hurting you because he knows he can. And, you know, he's playing you this and that and third. How the fuck is he playing her if he literally tried to take her away for the weekend just yesterday? 
just tried to spend time with her and just tried to rekindle a relationship. How is that playing somebody? And she's the one that said no. Make it make sense. Like, girl, see, in certain, I hate when people do that. Like, it's okay if you don't like the person. Just say that. Don't start making up fake-ass excuses and shit that don't make sense just to convince me of the thing that you believe. Like, that's not being a real friend. Just say, you know, I personally don't like him, but if you see the good in him and you really, you know, feel a way about him, then I support you. That's all she had to say. She making up some roundabout-ass excuses as a reason for Julie not to like Ray. And she really doesn't have an excuse other than he lives two hours away and the commute might, you know, be hard. But anyways, Ty, Carla's boyfriend, pulls up, saves the day. That's another air quote. You know, saves the day. And he pulls up with Will. Oh, ugly ass. And, okay, what if old boy would have came? Then now we got to kick Will out and he got to walk home. Like, that's awkward for everybody. Or... No, I was about to say, or she'd have to, you know, kick Ray to the curb. But, of course, she's not going to do that because that's the one she's really feeling. So, like I said, had Ray shown up and had he just called and told her, like, girl, I'm on my way. One, she'd have known that something was up when he didn't show up. And then, two, Will's ugly ass wouldn't be there acting like they're about to get together, like getting his, getting his poor hopes up. So now they're all taking the flight to the Bahamas. And... Will is in the middle seat, Julie is in the aisle seat, and there's no one in the window seat. I'm like, and she don't even like him like that. I'm like, nigga, move your ass over. I'm not trying to be this close to you, especially right now. But, you know, he's talking about he's nervous, this, that, and the third. That's even more reason to move over. You sweating, you panting, you getting my anxiety up. Move your ass over. I hate when people do that, or that are, like, you know, that strict about air, airplane seats. Like, as long as there's room on the plane, where do you care where I sit? It it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal. But something I'm literally just thinking, okay, so if I remember correctly, which I may not be doing, but if I remember correctly, isn't this all a setup? Because old boy is mad that his dad got accidentally almost killed. And so he's taking revenge for his dad. And if that's the case, you mean to tell me you just bought four tickets to get revenge on this one woman when all you really had to do was, like, corner her in some alley near the school or God knows around the town and kill her? Like, that's just so weird. And why do you have all this money to spend just to kill one person when you could kill that one person and then take that money and go on vacation by yourself to the Bahamas? Like, he's doing a very long game of just trying to kill one woman. They get off the plane, and now they have to take a boat to the Bahamas or to the specific island they're going to. And there's just this horrible green screen. Like, you can tell it's just completely fake. But I'm sure, you know, the CGI people did the best they could with what they had. But it just looked completely horrible. So... You know, everybody's just excited to be finally getting to the island. Ties, he gets seasick on the boat. He's throwing up. So they finally arrive on this bogus-ass island that I'm very sure is just one of the director's or millionaire's house. They're on somebody's, you know, house island. And I didn't even remember Jack Black was in this movie. Jack Black is decked out with some fake, ugly-ass locks. 
talking about you want some bud you know talking about weed like who calls it bud like oh my god this movie is a true mess and i need to know how jack black got hooked in it like did they offer him this role did he want to did he go out of his way to audition for this role was he low on work that month and he's like hey fuck it it's a check (laughs) i need to know so they get to the hotel's check-in desk and the front desk manager i'm guessing he is is very odd and he's letting them know like this is our off season we have a staff of five it's storm season so you're not going to have a lot of anything um not a lot of sunshine not a lot of service basically not a good time i would have turned around right there personally like what do you mean storm like tropical storm is in hurricanes and 80 mile per hour winds is that the type of storm you're talking about because if so let me get back on the boat let me leave and get back on that plane like i ain't got time for this but for some odd reason they stay and also hold on hold on hold it on because i was gonna say no 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 I I retract what I was about to say. It was going to make sense, but it wasn't going to make sense. But the point is, they stay at this hotel, and it's a beautiful hotel, but my thing is, a staff of five, I understand it's the off-season, you probably only got, like, maybe one or two, you know, clients or whatever, but if you look at that scene, all the keys were gone. All the keys were gone, which means they had gone to guest, and it was almost 30 little boxes of where keys should be, so even if it's the off season, you still have a full hotel. Why is there a staff of five? That doesn't make any sense. But they cut back. You see Ray is in the hospital. He told the doctor about the friend, about Ben Willis, the hook, all that stuff. And it looks like a psych guy has come and he's like, you know, eh, you no, know, this is or either psych or possibly a cop, one of them. And he's like, yeah, he's probably just hit his head real bad. He's he'll probably get, you know, the correct information when he wakes up. Now this is this is a scene that's just crazy. And you, you y'all know how I am about hospital and medical scenes. Okay. So, the doctor and the cop slash psych guy go to the front like nurses station. They're talking, you know, saying like mm, Again, he probably hit his head. When he comes to, he'll probably get the correct information. He probably just crashed his car because we didn't find any body. We didn't find any hook. We didn't find any car besides his. And how did he clean the blood? Like, all that blood? Huh. Anyway, so, I get it's a movie. So, somehow he cleaned all the blood. There was no trace of the blood from his co-worker in his truck. So, anyways, they're talking. All of a sudden, you hear the beep, 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 beep someone's had a cold blue the nurse just says doctor there's been a cold blue or no she doesn't even say that she said it's been a flat line who says flat line you always say cold blue because you don't know if his heart is stopped if electrode got pulled if he's having a respiratory distress she's just like he's flatlined okay that's very odd in any medical situation but she calls overhead we haven't oh no and like i said she she says it again over the tele what's it called the intercom we have a flat line and room blah 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 icu3 you mean code blue like this is why we have codes they give you a list of codes on your fucking badge of what everything means literally code blue so then as they're walking back to ray's room not running 
not jogging, not power walking. They're just leisurely walking back to ICU 3 to check on Ray. He's gone. And I get that. He, cause especially he overhears the people not hearing him. You know, he's like, fuck it. Let me just go on and save my woman by myself. But why were they walking to his room? If someone is in respiratory or cardiac distress, you do not walk. You run. You start tackling bitches out of your way to get to your patient. Is that not protocol? Oh, God, these movies, y'all, these movies. Okay, so, as I said, they walk to his room. They open up a glass door to look at his empty bed, which you see that he's gone. You open the door, it's going to make him magically reappear. But not only that, he got out through a window. Tell me what hospital that any of you have been in that the window opens. Even some where the window does open, it literally only cracks. You would have to use the jaws of fucking life to pry that window all the way open. And even in those hospitals, they're, like, super old. Like, any new hospital is not going to have a window that opens, specifically for that reason. You know how many, I'm sure, psych patients have jumped out of windows before they learned the lesson of, let's not even have these windows able to open. Lock them all. And this movie came out in the late 90s. Well within the time, hospitals didn't have windows that opened. Back on the island, they're at the bar, well, deserted bar that's at the hotel. They get some drinks, and of course, there's a karaoke scene. I say of course because this was when Jennifer Love Hewitt was a recording artist, and I'm doing air quotes for the third time in this episode. This is when Jennifer Love Hewitt was trying to become the Beyonce of our time. Maybe not the Beyonce. She was trying to become the... Britney Spears of our time. I think that's more adept. She was trying to become the pop star. And honestly, did she even ever have any singles? I remember her, like, wanting to sing. I remember a lot of people saying she could sing. And I remember her, like, in interviews, she would always, you know, sing. But I don't remember any singles. I'm going to have to look that up. So she's in there, she's singing, and why didn't Brandy sing? Like, she's the actual recording artist. Like, I mean, I get that Jennifer Love Hewitt was supposedly a recording artist, too. But Brandy actually had hits. She had CDs behind her name. And also, I hate when people that can sing get up and do karaoke, but pretend that they can't sing or pretend that they're nervous or anxiety-riddled. Like, bruh, you can sing, and I'm okay with that. I'm, I might even love your voice, but just come out and sing. Don't do that fake shy shit. Like, come on, just just belt and let's get this done with. But anyways, in the middle of singing this, she turns around to look at the screen, and of course, no one happens to fucking see it. I hate that. Oh, that's my biggest pet peeve, I think, in horror movies. When one person sees something, even though you have all these people around you, and you mean not one person, even not even a single other soul besides that one person saw it, it's just too unbelievable. But anyway, she turns around, she sees, I still know what you did last summer, pop up on the screen, on the teleprompter. And, you know, she's freaking out. She's like, it's him, it's him. And at that point, personally, just, you know, I'm riding across, not riding across, I'm swimming across the fucking whatever ocean is next to the Bahamas because 
I refuse to go th- through this shit twice. You mean I had to fight for my life once, barely escaped, and all my friends died, and we about to do this shit twice on the anniversary of that bullshit? It's a no. I'd rather, if I don't swim to safety, I'd just rather fucking drown. I'm telling y'all, y'all know I don't have the drive to stay alive. Fuck that shit. So after Julie sees, you know, the sign on the teleprompter, she goes to her room. Apparently, Will left the card saying surprise, and he, you know, pops up behind her with a glass of champagne and roses. And who the fuck thinks of this? I don't know. And maybe this is because I don't deal with a lot of men in my life, or at least straight men. But what are they doing with these horrible surprises? First old boy didn't even call to say that she that he's coming. So now she doesn't know that he's not, you know, where he's supposed to be. Wait, not where he's supposed to be? It sounds right. Anyways, and then Will, after she just freaked the fuck out, ran off stage into the room for some solid solitude. I was about to say solitaire. After she goes by herself for some solitude, pops up behind her with roses and some champagne. If someone just literally freaked the fuck out on you, went by themselves, they're like, oh, my God, did you see that? You can tell that they're scared about something. Why would you and your cis-hetero male mind be like, you know, this is the time. I'm going to confess my love. I'm going to give her some champagne, and I'm going to woo her with the roses. Like, this bitch is clearly scared. Use your brain. Right after that, the boat guy uh the boat guy the captain and i'm guessing the only captain that's on the island to actually get them off if they were to need it gets killed by hookman and jack black just narrowly escapes death like had he turned around like had he not been high and he turned around to check on the noise that he heard he'd have definitely got killed but jack black being Jack Black in this movie is like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna get high and, uh, you know the strange sound? I'm not gonna do what the white people do and I'm gonna ignore it. And rightfully so. He lives in this scene. I don't know if he dies overall, but he lives in this scene. So, Hookman is going through great lengths to make sure that he's uninterrupted while trying to get to Julie. Because he takes out the captain. He would have took out Jack Black, but like I said, Jack Black didn't turn around. He takes out the housekeeper, and why is he taking out all these black people first? This is this is starting to be very racial. Like, and I get you want to be un- un- uninterrupted while killing. You know, you didn't want to have witnesses. Is that in the third? But they had, I think it was like four or five days on this island that their only with each other and the staff. So as soon as they would have taken, you know, a walk into, you know, some sort of forest to see the birds, see the trees, blah, 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 he could have killed them then. But he's like, no, I'm going to kill these black people too just to get to this one white girl. I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's feeling very racial. It's fair, it's, you know, it's, just, it's not adding up. And mind you, if he really wanted to, he could have just knocked the housekeeper and the staff out. He could have knocked out the captain. He could have knocked out Jack Black. He could have knocked out the housekeeper. He could have knocked out the bellman and just tied him up, put him in a room. I'm sure they'd eventually got out or he could have released them or whatever, what have you. He's like, you know, fuck it. I'm not even going to go through. It just, 
I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. Because it's like, aren't you putting in more work killing these people than just knocking them out and dragging them into a room and locking them in the room? Like, isn't it actually physically more challenging to kill someone? So basically everyone that isn't dead ends up in the jacuzzi. That's Carla, Carla's boyfriend, Ty, Will, Jack Black, and that's about it. Almost everybody else is dead or just doing their own thing outside of the hotel. So basically the only person in the hotel is the possible killer and Julie. And uh, that's just bad friends like... You saw me freak the fuck out. And I understand giving me my space, but you leave me in a hotel alone? How does that make sense to anyone? If anything, if anything, I'd be like, okay, girl, I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm just going to be on the couch, you know, chilling. When you're ready to talk, let's talk. Or I'll be in my room when you're ready to talk, let's talk. Like, these, they just abandoned her. Anybody could have been in the hotel. And yes, she was behind the locked door, but you know she has PTSD and trauma, and she just literally had an episode less than an hour ago, and you're like, she'll be fine. She's in the room alone. She'll be fine. Like, what? These friends are not good. But as she's in the room by herself, you know, she gets out the shower. She's looking around, and when she's drying her hair, she hears something, and of course, you have that little jump scare. You know, the killer runs behind her, and, you know, she hears the footsteps. She's looking around. And this is something that I also don't understand in horror movies. So she's looking around, once again, proving my point that white people love to go toward the danger. Because if I hear something, and I know no one's supposed to be in the room, I'm just getting the fuck out. But, anyways, she's looking around. She's looking, you know, in the little, I guess, living room area of the hotel. And there's two closets. So she checks one closet. What is the game plan when they do that? If you literally open the closet pulling the doors toward you to open that gives anybody the chance to jump out stab you shoot you strangle you anything they have the upper hand like you by opening the door don't have the upper hand uh, you don't have the element of surprise they do because as soon as you, especially like i said doors opening toward you all you can do is try to push them back, but by the time you realize that something's happening, I need to close these doors, and, you know, try to get to safety, the person is already on you. They're already stabbing you. They're already killing you. They're already strangling you. Like, I don't understand what people's, you know, what is the game plan? But anyways, he did get the upper hand on her in, on, in this scene because she opens the closet, and nothing jumps out at her, but she notices some blood trickling down. And then, boom, down comes the body of the dead captain. And then, in my mind, I'd be like, well, fuck, how the fuck are we going to get this, get off this island? He was our one shot. But, of course, Julie, you know, she's freaking out. She tells Will it's happening again, which was he did she tell him what happened or does he just know like was he friends with her in the first movie or something i don't remember him from the first movie so how does how would he know it's happening again what's that what that means because in the opening scene where she was having that dream at the catholic church she said i've told no one i'm having to bear this by myself but i i mean i get it's a dream but you would think that it applied to real life since she's remembering it in her dream and the point is, 
at some point she must have told Will about the killings from before. Um, because yeah. Yeah, that's that's all I can think about, um, as far as the explanation. But anyways, she gets Will, she gets Carla, she gets Ty, and she gets the um front desk manager from before to check the closet. Of course the body is gone and the blood is gone, but there was so much blood, like trickling down his face. Not necessarily on the floor that she saw, but how would he have moved the body without getting any blood anywhere? Like this man is a pro. But Ty, Makai Pfeiffer's character, is just so hell-bent on fucking Brandy. He's being the worst type of friend. He's yelling at her like, you know, you're going crazy. You're seeing things, you know, you need to chill out, blah, blah, blah. Bro, if your black ass saw a dead body, you'd be saying the same fucking thing. So don't even. But it's like, bro, I, I, I understand you want to get laid, but I need you to be a good friend right now and realize that there's some shit going the fuck down. And the fact that no one believes her, like, not even Carla. Carla's like, what did you really see? Bitch, I saw a dead fucking body with blood coming out of his face. That's what the fuck I saw. Like, she's just so trying to keep it together. I would have gone off on every fucking body. I'm like, you know what? In the morning when y'all don't wake up and y'all are dead as fuck, and yet I've lived for the second time through this bullshit, all I'm going to say at your funerals is I told you so. Like, she's just really trying to be nice and trying to be calm and keep it together and, you know, really pleading her case. Fuck that shit. Die if you want to. Don't say I didn't warn you. And definitely don't come to me looking for help. Fuck you. But anyways, the front desk manager or hotel manager, whatever he is, end up telling them the phone lines have been down because of the hurricane. And we have a radio, but it's only for emergencies. And that alone... I feel like it's illegal. Like, yes, you don't have any phone lines. And yes, the radio is for emergencies. But you cannot keep someone on an island just because you don't classify something emergency. Like, even if she didn't actually see a dead body, what if she has to get home to a grand, uh, you know, a demented grandmother that is freaking out at the nursing home and, you know, needs to be calmed down or her family, someone in her family had a heart attack or there's so many things that could happen that would warrant her getting off the island. And even if none of that happened, her just saying, I want off this island should be enough for anybody to call in the Coast Guard or whoever the fuck they're going to call to, you know, come get them during a storm. Like, you can't keep me on this island. Is that not false imprisonment? So Hookhand ends up finding Jack Black in his, like, little basement grow cell area. Grow cell? I mean, cell. No, it's it's called a lab, isn't it? Like, where you grow marijuana. It's called a, not a dispensary. That's where they sell it. But where they grow it is called a, a something. I'm going to call it a lab. Uh, either way, find Jack Black in his lab. And, again, just gratuitously killing people. Like, Jack Black is so fucking high, he wouldn't remember shit. Like, if he'd have left him alive and literally killed everybody else on that island, Jack Black would not be able to help anybody. Like, he would not be able to tell the police anything. So, 
this man is just crazy. Like, I thought he was just getting revenge in the first movie because, you know, he they tried to kill him. But I see that he's actually a crazy fucking murderer. Okay, so I, I, I take that back, what she said about him earlier um, in the dream. But anyways, so not only kills him, but tortures him a little bit. Like, he puts his hook in his hand so he can't move. And then he gets these, like, gardening shears and stabs him through the chest. And it's like, you've killed everybody else so far very quickly. And yeah, Jack Black, the happiest-go-luckiest guy in this movie, is the one you decide to torture? It's just very rude. So the cutscene, we see Ray is limping and has a cast, and he walks into a lone, um, what's it called? A, not a lone shark, um... Oh, Lord, have mercy. I told you, when I start recording, my words just go out the window. Um, Pawn shop, there it is. He goes into a pawn shop, and he gives the teller his ring, and the the guy's saying, you know, we don't have really a market for this, so I can give you 250 maybe 300 And when I say pawn shops truly are, like, it's just the pits of hell, the true pits of hell. Because they love to scam people. Because if you're in a pawn shop in the first place, they know you're down on your luck and they know that you need money. So they're going to give you the lowest fucking offer. It's almost disrespectful, the shit that they say. And you're going to take it because you need any money. You'll take any money. And I know this from personal experience. I gave a brand new fucking Canon camera. I didn't have any money. I needed gas for work. This is when I was working super minimum wage. I didn't have any gas for work. I needed money. Gave them a brand spanking new, only been used twice Canon. It was like a Canon T whatever the fuck. Cost me $850 of my tax money, mind you. All of my tax money. Got that camera, used it twice, needed money, went to a pawn shop. They offered me $100. And I was so broke and so desperate, I accepted it like a dumbass. Oh, and I still want that camera back. It was a nice fucking camera. But anyways, so he's like, okay, um, I'll take 300 and the gun over there. And he's like, yo, this gun is worth 300 And he's like, fuck it, just take the ring, give me the gun. And, you know, the teller's like, are you sure you really want to do this? You know, doesn't even know why he needs a gun, but I'm sure, you know, some shit's about to go down if you're coming into a gun, I mean, coming into a pawn shop for a gun. But he's like, you know, Ray is like, is it loaded? The teller tells him, no, he's like, load it for me. And first of all, please, nigga. And second of all, wouldn't the proper question be would be, hey, how do you load it? Because at some point, you're going to have to reload this gun yourself also, especially if you're knowingly going into a gunfight or any type of situation you need to fire a gun. Wouldn't that be the logical question? Hey, how do you load this gun? How do you aim the gun? How do you work the gun? None of that is answered. None of that is asked. But they go back to the hotel and everybody's crammed in one room in one bed, which they have couches. I mean, two people could have slept on a couch and could have slept on a bed. But anyways, I get it. She's freaked out. They were trying to do what's best for Julie. And they wake up, and Ty is being a complete dick. He's like, hey, Miss Psychotic Episode, you see any dead bodies? 
you about to be a dead black fucking body if you keep talking to me like that. Like, she is just, you know, water off a duck's back, basically. Like, fuck that. I know what the fuck I saw. You're not going to make me feel like I'm crazy just because you didn't see it, especially since I've literally lived through this fucking situation a year to this day ago. You're not going to make me feel crazy. I've been through this, and now we're going through it again, and just because you don't believe me, Oh my, she is a good one because when I say I would set his ass up, I'd be like, I'd make sure he's with me everywhere I go so that when hook hand comes around, he's my decoy. And as he's on the floor getting chopped up like fucking ceviche, I'd be like, oh, what about that dead body? Seems like you're the dead body now, nigga. Like, couldn't be me. I'd set his ass up. Fuck the friendship at this point. And again, he's still talking about fucking Brandy. Like, and the thing is, this is a completely believable character. Like, have y'all ever been in a situation with a man where they're literally so hellbent on getting their penis in something? They don't care about their friendships. They don't care about who they disrespect. They don't care about how psychotic they're coming off or how much of a fucking predator they're coming off as. They just want to put their dick in something and they're going to talk about it. They're going to berate you. They're going to hassle you, hound you, annoy you until they have their dick in something. It's literally one of the worst experiences ever. And another reason I don't keep too many straight men in my presence, because it literally is, I'm telling you, it's like, it's like being in the eighth circle of hell. It's like, bro, I understand that sex is very important to you. I can get it by the eighth time you fucking said it. I get it. But at this point, you see it's not happening, so go jerk the fuck off or leave us alone. Like, oh, my gosh. It's, you know what? Based on Makai Pfeiffer's performance in this movie alone, they are already starting out at two Afro picks because just off the rip, and they can only go up from there because when I say his character is so believable, it's it's scary. And it's a shame, but it's scary. So the boys go off to do their thing. Carla takes Julie to the gym. They're working out for a little bit, trying to trying to de-stress, but it's not working. So she takes her to the on-site tanning booth, which is just in its own room, surrounded by windows, and doesn't even have a lock. How, in fuck's sake, did she think that was a good idea? That is a perfect room to get killed in. Not only could she have some sort of, like, final destination shit happen and get fried alive in this tanning booth, but you don't have a lock to the room. And Carla goes off to God knows where. Anybody could walk in and kill her. Like, I'm telling you, these friends, I swear to God, if I have these friends, not only would I kill them myself, I would never make another friend in my life again. I'd be too traumatized. Turns out Carla went back to the gym to keep working out. And might I say, her form is horrible. She's, you know, doing the kicks and punches on the punching bag. And girl, it looks like you about to break an ankle or a wrist. Like, I'm no professional anything, but girl, I know you should not be punching like that or kicking like that. But she hears something in the closet. And of course, because of hanging around all these white people, what does she do? She goes toward the danger. Of course she does. She hears something banging around in the dryer. 
opens it, it's the housekeeper that got killed from earlier. And that was just a questionable choice as a killer. I understand putting her up and away so nobody finds her. But why the dryer? Even if, no, 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 I take that back. Because the dryer was old, it was clunky, it clearly could have fit a body in there. And it was closed, like it wasn't the see-through front. So that makes sense to put her in the dryer, because, shit, it'd be a while for anybody found her. But why turn the dryer on for someone to hear, check out, and then alert another person beside Julie, who everybody thinks is crazy anyway, alert another person that, hey, we actually do have a killer on the fucking premises. Like, why did he turn the dryer on? And maybe he's that type of killer, like he likes to have... Well, no, I know he's, I was going to say maybe he's that type of killer. He likes to play psychological games. But clearly he does because he just did that shit to Julie. But why do it to other people? Like, I would keep fucking with Julie, making her seem so crazy that absolutely no one believes her. And then as soon as everybody turns against her, start killing everybody and leave Julie for last. Like, that would make the most sense. So now basically everyone knows there's a killer on the island. The boys found Jack Black's dead body. Carla found the housekeeper. Julie got locked in the fucking um, tanning booth, but got saved. And now they're all back together, and, you know, they're all freaking out because it's like, oh, shit, she's not lying. Um, there's actually a fucking killer on the island. So, I mean, at this point, again, I just don't understand, um, I guess, the mentality of people. Because if I'm ever in a group and there's one soul killer... We're going to huddle up in a corner with weapons, with an escape near. So all they can do is burn the place down, hence the exit. They can come at us directly, and we can strike back via our weapons and, you know, group, you know, what's it, what is it, uh, um, safety in numbers. So they're not going to attack us directly. They could smoke us out, but, I mean, even that, if you have the exit near, eh, I mean, they would have to put a lot of smoke very quickly. Like, yeah, I, I don't see that one happening. But even still, they smoke they smoke you out. If you run out, ducking, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a chance even if they had a gun aiming for you, they could still, you know, you could still get out, you know, hit them, knock them down, get them off their feet. So, like I said, if you're ever in a group and something like this happens, stay in one room with an exit near and have weapons on you. Cause then there's not too many, there's not too many options the killer would have unless they literally just threw a fucking grenade in there. And then, yeah, you'd be fucked, but I'm sure that wouldn't be fun for a killer. Cause a killer likes killing like a grenade's too quick for them. So now that everyone's aware that there's a killer, they try to go back to the manager and demand that they get taken off the island. But of course, he's dead. He has a fucking machete through his head. And Hookman has fucked up the radio. And again, this is um, poor planning on the hotel's part. I understand the phone's being down through the hurricane. I understand having emergency radio because of said hurricane. But what if that happened? What if someone fucked up the radio? What if it, what if, even if it was an accident, what if someone knocked it on the floor, it broke? Or what if you, in case in point, have a killer that 
deliberately fucks up the radio. So there's no way. Like, why is there no plan C? Why you should be able to text somebody, you should be able to send a fucking email, an AOL email, you should be able to have a walkie talkie, like there should always be a backup plan to your backup plan. Is that not common sense? So now that they basically know they're not getting off the island anytime soon, they go looking for a boat. And that's when Julie decides to tell them the truth. And honestly, if I were them, I'd be like, bitch, you should have kept that shit to yourself. She tells them, hey, we lied to the authorities. The guy that we hit and killed and thought was, you know, well, everyone thought was actually dead. He actually came back, and he's the one that killed my friends. And he's the one that's trying to get revenge on me now because I lived. I'm like, bitch. I I wouldn't even be able to get out a word. I'd just start beating her ass. I'm like, and you, you have the nerve to come with me on a fucking excursion? Knowing someone's out to get you that you didn't even kill, you thought was dead, you didn't even finish the fucking job. Now you got me on this deserted island alone. Like, girl, I'm I'm guilty by association just by being near your ass, which is why he is over here trying to kill the rest of us. I'm like, bitch, you need to be on your own island alone so he can just kill you. Because now you're getting everybody else in danger. And if I was Carla, I would literally give this girl a swirly i would pummel her until an inch of her life and then i would give her a swirly and leave her for dead on that island like bitch now i gotta fight for my life because of you because you and your friends couldn't just do the right thing and call the ambulance or call the cops or do whatever now i gotta fight for my life bitch i'm in college i've been studying i've been working at this fucking bar i'm tired i came on this trip for relaxation and to be fucked eight ways from fucking Monday. Like, I can't express the anger I would have felt. I'm like, not only did we get this whack-ass hotel with this whack-ass staff that's dead, mind you. We did, I didn't even get fucked this whole trip. Now you're telling me not only am I not going to have time for sex, the weed man is dead, can't even get high. Not only can I not get high and not get fucked because I'm running from a life, my life itself is in danger. I can't even just sit here fuckless and weedless. I gotta actually keep on the move so I can stay alive. I'd be mad. I'd just be all types of mad. I'd be like, you know what? If we do live through this, it's, it's done. Me and you, this friendship, it's over. But anyways, Ty's still not believing Julie, even though she literally just gave him all the flat out details. He's like, no. It can't be the guy that once tried to kill you that you didn't verify was dead. It couldn't be him. It's got to be the old black guy. Skinny as fuck. Feeble as fuck. He's the one getting these bodies to and from A to point B. He's the one lifting up these heavy bodies and doing all this shit that his old ass clearly can't do. It's got to be him. But that being the case, Ty gets well to believe that the old bellhop is the killer. And even if it was true, why would you barge in to his territory where he could have booby traps, he could be waiting for you, anything? They go find Estes or try to find Estes in his room. Why would you again go toward the danger? I would stay where the fuck I am. If he is the killer, he's going to find me anyway. So what am I, what do I look like going to your territory on your turf? Where, like I said, you could have any type of booby trap to knock me out 
and now you over here torturing me to death. Like, these people are not thinking. But as they're in his room, you know, they're looking around. He has some weird stuff. Like, he has a, looks like a monkey's skull. And then Julie stumbles upon an altar that has, like, dried chicken feet. It has, you know, bones and candles and weird shit. But the way she's like, oh, my God, you guys, come look at this. You think there was a, a bloody fucking head at the altar. Or a fucking like a hand that's been cut off at the fucking shoulder or the fucking wrist or something like you think there'd be something bloody and disgusting it's just chicken feet i promise if you show chicken feet to any southerner they're like okay like and what about it like she's just so disgusted because and it looks like it didn't look like a human bone it looked like maybe a femur or something but besides that like i said you're just so disgusted by a chicken foot girl so now that they think that he is the killer, the bellhop guy, um, they're trying to find weapons. You know, he's like, we need torches, guns, anything that this island has. And like a dumbass, he's like, you got, you girls stay here. Talking about Carla and Julie. And she rightfully asks, like, why can't I go with you? And he's like, it's safer here. You mean it's safer in the hotel where the hotel manager, the housekeeper, the captain and the weed guy slash pool guy, Jack Black, have all died. You mean that's where it's safer? Oh, okay. Well, excuse me, I, I was misinformed. But as they're waiting in the hotel, Carla and Julie, um, in, for some reason, Julie is going off on her own. She sees the globe, and, you know, she's trying to get an answer on whether something she's been thinking is right or wrong and it's you know did she answer the initial contest question correctly and you know she's looking at the globe and here comes the bellhop popping up behind her and he's like no you know the um capital of brazil is brasilia not rio and that's when it finally clicks and you know the guys come running because they hear her screaming and they ask them they basically question him, and he's telling them, like, I stole, and I have all those weird things in my room because I was trying to use voodoo to protect you. I did find the dead bodies, and I tried the radio, but the radio was already broken, and he, he, things are checking out. You know, may, he may be a little weird, but he seems like a good guy that was actually trying to help, and they believe him. And, it, like I said, it's finally clicking to Julie all this shit was a setup because she lets them know because they really weren't listening to him as he was talking because they were still thinking he was the killer. But she lets them know, like, Rio wasn't even the fucking capital of Brazil. We didn't get the question right, and yet we're still here. We still won. I'm doing air quotes for the fourth time. We still won the contest. That it's a setup. How can it not be a setup? And Ty, still thinking she's crazy, is like, well, where's this Ben Willis guy? Where's this supposed killer? What, what, what do you mean? If I knew, nigga, I would tell you. And Ty is, and I get he's, you know, he's scared, you know, he's seen all these dead bodies, he doesn't know what's going on. But for some reason, his first question is, how do you, how do we know that you didn't set us up? How do you know that you're not the killer? Talking about Julie. Um, let's see. I was with, I will no, 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 I was going to say I was with some of you when you found the dead body, but even to cut that in case that 
pops up with some question. I was locked in a fucking tanning booth. You had to save me as each one of you were finding bodies. How the fuck do you think that, do you, do you think I'm that omniscient that I planned this out and was 10 steps ahead of you that I could have literally made it unfold that way? Like, use your fucking brain, man. But anyways, the old man, the bellhop, is telling them, um, you know, Ben Willis, I knew that guy, he used to work here, but now I do see him on the island, he's, you know, usually hanging around the hotel, just doing his thing, he's off in the orchards in the forest, and to that, I would be like, you know what, fuck this shit, I'm just gonna sit down, he's either gonna come for me, kill me, or... Or by the grace of God, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to live until, you know, the next shift arrives and they see what's going on. Because you mean to tell me I'm about to go out into that forest, into this dark-ass orchard to go find a killer who has successfully killed almost all of the hotel staff? You want me to do that? I'm not SWAT, I'm not military, I'm not the NYPD, well... I was about to say the NYPD, but we see they don't do shit. They never saved a life. The point is, I have no military or offensive training, and yet you want me, my white ass, or in Brandy's case, my black ass, to go into that forest and find a known killer. You got me three types of fucked up. But like dumbasses, they do go into that forest. And the bellhop shows them Ben's grave, Ben's wife's grave, and an open grave that has Julie's name on it. And the bellhop is telling them, you know, that he thinks that he went crazy because his wife was cheating on him. So he killed her and his kids went missing and he went missing. And uh, this girl, she just has a lot of fucking drive and I guess a lot of heart because you mean to tell me you've gone so far as to not only dig a whole grave for me. Graves are what, six feet? You dug a whole grave. That took time. You spray painted my name and my death date on that grave on a headstone. So you had to buy the headstone and then you had to buy the spray paint to put my name and my death date on the headstone. This is way too deliberate. You're clearly very motivated. You have your eye on the prize. Fuck it. I don't have that much drive. I don't have that much will to live. And who are me to deny you your kill that you've worked so hard on? I'm just, like I said, I'm just going to sit in the middle of that graveyard, and you'll come for me when you come. And, um... It's just going to be what's going to be. This is way too much work at this point. This girl has been fighting for her life for over 40 minutes. 40 minutes. She hasn't gone pee. She hasn't taken a break. She hasn't gotten any water, any food to eat. You know how much of a crash you would have after that? After all that adrenaline just literally coming down? I feel like that alone would give you some PTSD. Just the crash of the fucking, all of that drama all of that and not even anxiety just all of that terror all of that fear just coming down off of all of that oh my god I'm she probably have to be in a mental hospital for a little bit but just as I was saying Makai Pfeiffer literally says what's on my mind he goes to the fucking pantry because he's like I'm just hungry you know he rightfully so like at this point can I have a pee break 
can I can I get some Gatorade? So I'm doing all this running around. But I mean, great minds think alike. My boy goes to the pantry. He's looking for food, and as they're in the pantry, Will runs off to find Estes. Estes is doing some weird shit. Basically, knocks Will out. But they open the pantry, and Nancy, badass motherfucking bartender Nancy, over here knocks Makai Pfeiffer stone cold out with the rolling pin. If that's not ingenuity, like, she is a badass. Like, and then she went to the pantry where nobody besides Makai Pfeiffer's hungry ass was thinking to go. Like, had he not been in there, well, wait, doesn't she live? We got to get to the end of the movie for me to confirm this, but I'm, I don't remember if she dies or not. But anyways, if she does die, she would have lived had my Pi Pfeiffer not been hungry. So we cut scene. We see Ray has commandeered a boat. Um, he's now driving the boat to the island, which I wouldn't have a problem with if it wasn't storming. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I forgot. I was going to say, because how the fuck do you know how to drive a boat? I forgot he works at the fucking pier on a fishing boat. Because I was really about to say, like, how how is he working the mapping thing on the boat? Because, you know, they don't just have Google Maps. They have, like, satellite fucking map. I was like, how? But I forgot. He works on the fucking pier on a fishing boat. He knows how to work all this shit. So, question answered. So we go back, we see they're all huddled up in the fucking pantry. They're, you know, trying to talk about who's doing it, why they're doing it, how they're going to get out, this, that, and third. As Mackay Pfeiffer saying he doesn't, he hasn't seen the killer, hook hand literally drops from the hood of the fucking stove, which I didn't even know that was possible. Can someone really shimmy through the hood? of a stove, like the, you know, the, the air hood, is, is that a thing? I, I need to know now, because if so, it's very scary, but anyways, he shimmies down through the fucking hood of the stove, stabs Makai Pfeiffer, Ty, in the throat, oh my god, can you imagine the pain, and then you're choking on your blood, because the, I, it's, ooh, God, I'm just imagining that and my throat hurts. Like, bless, that is such a horrible way to go. Not only the pain of it, but choking on your own blood to death. And you're not even getting blood in because, I mean, you're not even getting oxygen in because you have a hook in your airway. It's just a lot going on. Bless, bless Makai. That's a horrible way to go. So they're all watching him die instead of running. Of course, that's horror movie number one. You have to see the dead body die so the guy has more of a chance to get you next. But anyways, they're watching Ty die. And after Hookhand finally releases his dead body, they start running up the stairs. And I have to say, this is maybe like the first movie where the person is like a human. And they're not, you know, because most of the killers in the movie, especially humans, they're just like, slowly walking after the person and they just somehow happen to catch up with them like you know michael jason they all they all got that slow walk that slow paced walk my boy is power walking like damn near jogging and he's not slow i would that's what i'm saying these people have way too much will not only do i gotta fight for my life i'm hungry i gotta pee i'm thirsty shoot i probably got a headache from all this adrenaline rush now you're running after me or damn near jogging after me, which means I have to, in turn, jog faster than you? Mm-mm. 
And for some stupid ass reason, they make the black girl the dumbass in this situation. What does Carla slash Brandy do as she's trying to get away? She stops. She stops on the stairs and she looks at him coming toward her to kill her. How in any in any situation would that make sense? Somehow she lives from that. They're in the attic, it looks like, of the hotel. And, of course, Carla's foot gets stuck, and she ends up tumbling down onto, well, into one of the rooms, onto the bed, with hook hand. And also, she's on the side closest to the door when she lands on top of him. And instead of just literally running around the bed and going through the window, which she intended to do, she, like, rolls on top of him and then gets to the window. Like... If he'd have literally just come to his consciousness a little bit quicker, he would have had her. Like, why would you literally crawl on top of the killer? I, it's not making sense. And then, I, again, I told you these friends are horrible. Julie, watching her best friend run for her life, is just looking at her. She She's just watching her out the window. Not... And like I said, they fell onto a bed. They were fine. She could have hopped down after them and tried to box them or literally anything. She's just like, oh, there goes my friend. You know, God bless. Hope you make it. Stay alive. Like, girl, like you're not even really going to try to help her at all. And finally, when Carla is out of sight, that's when Julie grows some balls and is like, oh, I got to help my friend. Like, girl, it's too late. Like, you don't even know where she is at this point. But. Carla has to run, duck, and, like, roll onto this glass ceiling. And, you know, she's trying to find a way off. And what does she do? She starts stepping on the glass panes, which start cracking. Mind you, these glass panes are in, like, these small squares. So there's beams in between them, which you would think would have more support than glass. But she doesn't step on the beam part of the ceiling, of the glass ceiling, she steps on the glass part of the glass ceiling. How does that make sense? And for the second time, she has fallen through glass. Uh, Like, girl, her back should be all the way cut up. Like, her back and her front should be just completely slithered? No, slashed? It's an SL word that I'm thinking of. It's not slashed. It's not slither. It's Slice, slice, <laughs> her front and her back should be sliced the fuck. And now that she's not sliced, mind you, she gets up. She's fallen through, like I said, she's fallen through this glass ceiling and landed on her back. No cuts somehow. But she gets up and this girl is damn near doubled over. Her back is in pain. They finally, you know... Julie and Nancy, the bartender, finally reach her in this glass house that she's landed in. They're trying to get her out. And here comes Hook Hand in the glass house also. So they're, you know, they're trying every key and lock that they can to unlock it. And if I were her, y'all know what I'm going to say. I'd have gave up. I have all this shit going on that I mentioned before. And now I have a back injury to add to that. Uh Uh-uh. And as someone who's had a personal back injury, I barely wanted to get up and out of bed. I barely wanted to walk my dogs. I barely wanted to get up and do my job. But you want me to fight for my life with this injury? Oh, no. So now they're running for their life again. They They get Carla out just in time, of course. And they're running for their life. 
They go into the storm shelter. They find all the dead bodies, you know, the captain, the hotel manager, the housekeeper, Ty, the blackjack, everybody. We found all the dead bodies. And here comes Will. He opens the door. He's like, you know, come with me. You know, we need to go back inside, blah, blah, blah. And he says something that's very interesting that they don't catch. And I'm guessing because they're all running for their life. He says that I just saw the guy near the beach and the guy meaning hook hand. How did you see him near the beach? And yet we just saw him inside the greenhouse trying to attack Carla. That would mean that there's more than one. So they go looking for this first aid kit to help Will, which, uh, again, they keep splitting up. Like, yes, he's hurt, but if he says he's near the beach, he's like, go, you know, he's by the beach, he's gone, you guys are good to go get the first aid kit. Why wouldn't Julie come with him? Like, okay, well, I'll go get it since you're half dead anyways. I might as well go with them to look for it. But, of course, no, she stays still. And he then lets her know, basically, that he's the killer or he's in on it somehow. He, um, you know, tells her that this isn't my blood. And, you know, he read, he basically replicates the sound of the guy from the radio station. And, you know, he's like, um, what's your favorite radio station? And, you know, he sounds exactly like the guy from the radio station that they won or supposedly won on. And, you know, he drags Julie off. And the cut scene, we see that they do find the med kit. But as soon as they find the med kit, here comes the bellhop. He has a hook right through his sternum he's bleeding he falls on top of nancy and you know here comes hook hand coming up behind him he pushes the hook deeper through the bellhop and into nancy that's under him because he fell on top of her just a couple seconds earlier and carla gets to running up again like damn my girl is tired just give her a break but he catches up to her shortly knocks her out um supposedly kills her but you know they don't show that so it's not confirmed yet and as will is dragging julie out back to the graveyard he lets her know like i'm the guy's son that you threw into the lake and i mean i saw that coming um even though i haven't seen this for years i saw that coming when the bellhop told him that he had two kids but what happened to the other kids then is my question but anyways they're at the graveyard he's about to kill julie the dad is and here comes ray in the nick of time of course and even the killer um hook hand the from now on i'm calling you know hook hand the dad and will will but hook hand is letting them know like you you don't even have the guts to kill i'm the one that's a killer you know like what the what the fuck are you gonna do and the gun that he brought that he, you know, even threatened the boat keeper with, and this, that, and the third, he is going to fire it, and nothing happens. It just clicks. So we don't know if the the teller from the pawn shop actually didn't load it. We don't know if somehow it misfired. And we, you know why we don't know? Because he didn't ask the simple question of how do I work this fucking gun before he left the pawn shop with it. So now they're scrapping. Will and Ray are scrapping. Jules bit, or Jules, like I know her, like Julie (laughs) bit Hookhand's pan and escaped. But, you know, he's 
he hit her as she was escaping. So they're fighting. Everybody's scrapping with somebody. And the thing that kind of gets me is Ray had to take off a shoulder splint because, you know, while he was tumbling down the hill earlier, he apparently messed up his shoulder bad enough that he has to have him in a splint and that he has to take painkillers for it. So if he's in that much pain, how is he throwing left and right hooks to Will? There's no way he'd be able to do that. He'd be in way too much pain to be kicking ass like that. But either way, Will ends up getting the upper hand on Ray. And, you know, he's like, do you want a piece of him, Dad? So he stands him up and Hook Hand's about to stab him. But Ray hurry up and moves out the way. And Hook Hand ends up stabbing his son, Will. And he's pissed at this point. He's about to go berserk on Will. Or no, sorry, on Ray for making him, you know, kill his son. But, of course, Julie somehow gets a hold of the gun and somehow is properly firing the gun and, you know, releases a whole chamber on him on hook hand. And as she's shooting him, she's doing nothing but body shots. Why are you shooting him? Like, why are you shooting him in the body? You know, especially because you tried to kill him a movie ago and he didn't die. So at that point, I want nothing but a headshot. That's the only way you can confirm he's dead other than straight up decapitation. But she doesn't do that. She just keeps shooting him in the chest. And he's probably, if he's smart enough, killer, has a fucking bulletproof vest. So as Hook Hand is... In his grave, he's been shot a million times in the body. He's starting to be covered up with dirt and water. They walk away and, you know, they've made it back to the hotel. The sunlight's coming up. The hurricane has stopped and they see a helicopter that says Coast Guard is, you know, coming up from the horizon and they let them know like the rescue team will be with you shortly. And of course, here comes limping ass Brandy. She's lived. Which, I mean, thank God, because, you know, at least one per- at least one black person in this movie lived. But still, my- she went through a hell of a lot to get there. Fell through two ceilings, mind you. But um, she's alive. You know, she's limping. Julie is so happy to see her best friend. You, We think it's a beautiful ending, of course. We fast forward a little bit. We see that Will, or I keep saying Will now, damn it. We see that Ray and... Carla, not Carla, we don't even know what happened to Carla after this, but either way, we see that Ray and fucking Julie are now in their own house, they've um, bought their own house, and it fast forwards into the nighttime, and, you know, he's watching his team, she's already in bed, and she feels a little draft, she goes to close the window that's in another room, and we don't see what happens to Ray, but... You know, he's brushing his teeth and then the door closes. So we're assuming he got, you know, he got he got the knife or he got the hook. But we don't know. But uh, then, you know, she's, she's looking around. She doesn't see anything. She doesn't hear anything. So she's getting back in bed. And in the mirror that's across from her bed, she sees that there's something under her bed right near her feet. And what is it? It's Hook Hand. He's back. He wasn't dead. Of course he wasn't because she didn't make a fucking headshot. And he drags her under the bed and then it fades to black. And that is the end of the movie, y'all. She did all that fighting. In fact, they both did all that fighting. And I'm going to say that 
he probably came for Carla after he, you know, got Ray and Julie. He he probably went and went to go find Carla. So she probably fucked too. But that's the end of the movie. They did all that fighting just to win, just to really lose. Damn. But we're at that time. We're at our BPR, our Black People rating for this film. And y'all. Okay, so let's go over it. We know our BPR is, are there Black people in the film? Yes. We got Ty, we got Makai Pfeiffer, and we got Carla Brandy. Were they in, in important roles? Yeah, they both were in, in pretty important roles in this film, I'd say so. Um, you know, Makai Pfeiffer was the boyfriend of the best friend, and Brandy was the best friend of the main girl. So, pretty important roles. Did they live? One of them lived. She may, if they ever made a third one, she probably wouldn't live. But as far as we know, she lived. So, like I said, just off of Makai Pfeiffer's portrayal of a black man that's trying to get some on this twisted ass vacation, we we start off with two Afro picks. So, going from that, was Brandy's character believable? I'm going to say yes. She, she was pretty believable as a best friend, a slightly fucked up best friend, but pretty believable. And she did live, even though she had to go through all that hell just to live. So I think I'm going to give this movie a four out of five Afro picks. I think it's earned that. You know, they had some good characters. They were portrayed correctly and, you know, believably. And like I said, at least one of them lived. And even Makai Pfeiffer made it to almost the end of the movie before he got killed. So, yeah, I think I'm going to give this a four out of five Afro picks, y'all. If you disagree with my BPR or if you just want to tell me how I'm doing, give me some suggestions for some movies, or if you just want to drop me a line, you can contact me on Twitter at BlackHorrorPod or on my email at BlackHorrorPod at Yahoo. Either one's good. I hope to hear from you soon and you will definitely be hearing from me next week. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Black Horror.